You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writer Centre at writercentre.com.au. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 212 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm here with Alison Tate on our mini-sode, which is the kind of episode we drop in between our regular programming because we know that we've got some feedback from people who are saying that they don't want to wait a whole week before the next episode. So here's a mini-sode where we sometimes ask, answer listener questions, but also sometimes have mini-interviews. So before we launch into this particular mini-sode. What's happening in the world of Al? What's happening in the world of Al? Al is just extremely busy um, writing things, which I guess (laughs) is not a bad, given Al is a writer, that's probably not a bad thing really, is it? Um, (laughs) So I'm doing what I do, Val. How about that? What are you doing? What's happening in your world, Val? What's happening in my world? I'm actually trying to organise a photo shoot. So, my, fr- um, you know, I co-host another podcast so- called So You Want to Be a Photographer with uh, Gina Militia, who's a photographer in Melbourne. She's coming to Sydney and we're doing some filming and doing a photo shoot, which is going to turn into a course on photography. But mm-hmm. she's kind of said, okay, so I need a Vespa. I need a retro um, restored car. <laughs> I need a surfer dude who's about 18, I need a girl next door and I need a goth-looking girl and I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> so I'm scouring my local area for all of these things. I spent this morning taking photos of potential locations because she wanted some laneways. I've managed to ask the, you know, 22-year-old guy at the local hardware store if I can borrow his car, which he restored with his dad. <laughs> He's quite happy to lend it to me, which is really nice. Um, And, uh, yeah, going up to random people in the street saying, hey, you look like an 18-year-old bad boy. I actually don't say that. but Oh, my um, Lord, you can't say that. (laughs) No, I don't. Valerie Koo. No. So I think (laughs) my partner was a bit perturbed this morning when I said, I'm looking for an 18-year-old bad boy. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me if you say one. Yeah, okay. Because <laughs> I need him in two weeks. <laughs> anyway, so it's something a little bit different that I'm doing, actually. Okay, that is, <laughs> yep, I, yeah, that's, you win. <laughs> <laughs> we want to give a big shout out to Louise Jalen, who has kindly left us a review on iTunes. Now, Louise has said the perfect mix of information and entertainment. And her review says, this is my favorite podcast for writers. I remember episode one, around which time oh. I was first starting to write. Oh my God, you've been with us since that long. We love you, Louise. We um, do. 
And here I am, 200 plus episodes later, still listening. I've learned heaps Uh about writing from Val and Al and also from the writer in residence. I enjoyed the banter between the two ladies, the updates on Banoffee Pie. Yes! Seriously. (laughs) Hashtag team chocolate. (laughs) Which, by the way, was one of the desserts on the menu at my son's recent valedictory dinner. How (laughs) could I not try it? Excellent. (laughs) But the most enriching part of the podcast has to be the word of oh, the Oh, no. Yes. No. Yes. Oh, I swear people are just trying to suck up to you now. <laughs> Which has fortified my vocabulary to the point where people follow me around with a dictionary in order to understand what I'm saying. No. Anyway, anyway <laughs> I'll keep listening as long as you two ladies keep going. Well done on such a delightful mix of information and entertainment. Oh, that's hilarious. Thank you so much, Louise. We really appreciate we you do. taking the I'm time. I'm so impressed today. that you've been with us since the first episode. So like, impressed. I mean, really, like 212 so episodes of us talking to each other. I'm Your persistence and perseverance yeah. deserve a large award, I think. Yep, definitely. Thank you so much, Louise. Um, you, you've made our day. Um, you know, Pat, so cool. gold star, right yeah, there. Yeah, gold star. Um, Banoffee pie all round for you. Uh, so if you, if anyone else has um, 30 seconds to leave us a review or rating on iTunes, we'd really appreciate it because it certainly helps us in the rankings. And Val now, will give you a gold star. Yes, exactly. Now let's move on to a couple of listener questions this week. This one is from Brooke. Now Brooke has asked, it's probably way too early for me to even be thinking about a title for my nascent book, but I can't help wondering about how it's done. Val and Al, how do you pick the perfect book title? How important is it? Is there a formula for success? Mm, that is a great question, isn't it, Al? That is a great question. How are you going to answer it, Val? <laughs> <laughs> Gold star for you. <laughs> okay, well... It's quite a long answer, so I'll just try to summarise. I do believe that book titles are important. I Mm. don't believe you need to think of them while you're writing. You can just have a working title, just call it the novel or the thing or whatever it is, you know. You Mm. just call it anything you want while you're actually writing. There's absolutely no need to think of the book title, no imperative anyway, to think of the book title while you're writing it. If you've already got one and you're in love with it, fine, work with that. But if not, don't worry about it. You, but when it comes time to publishing and, and pitching your story, uh, your novel, of course you need to think of a good book title and ultimately it's one that's going to be made in with in conjunction with the publisher because the publisher knows what's out there and the publisher knows, you know, whether the title has been used before. Um, actually, Al, you and I know an author who's just released a book with the exact same title as another author that we know. But anyway. Okay. So Um, I don't know who she's talking about either, people, so don't worry. I'll find (laughs) out later. Okay. Um, And so, uh, yeah, it's very important that people will be able to identify that um, that book title with you, that it's something I believe that it's important that it's easy to remember, um, something that people aren't going to be afraid who walk into a bookshop and say, hey, can I have blah, 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 whatever blah, blah, blah is, you know, because sometimes there are some words in the title that people might find embarrassing. Like I was not going to go into a bookshop and ask the lady, hey, do you have crazy rich Asians? And 
Also, uh. because and also, um, a friend, this guy I know, Graham Hand, he wrote a book, really, really, really good book. Um, it was nonfiction. It was about the banking industry. I know that sounds really boring, but it was very, very well written. And it was called Naked Among Cannibals. And I just, he, it, one of the things he felt that a lot of people in that industry weren't going to go into the bookshop to say, hey, do you have a book called Naked Among Cannibals? You know what I mean? Because mm. it was, apart from being about a bit unwieldy, it just sounded a bit weird for people in that industry. So, you know, it's got to be um, a title that people aren't going to be afraid to ask for and also one that it's easy to remember. But also it needs to suit your book, of course. Mm. Now, um, I'll throw to Al in a sec, but certainly with nonfiction titles, um, I think it's important to that it's something that um, – people will get immediately what the book is about or might be able to search for it. So one of the things that I did when I um, was testing out different titles on my book is I just invested a small amount of money in Facebook advertising. I narrowed it down to three titles and I did Facebook advertising on each of them and Mm. the one with the most clicks won. Is as simple as that. Wow. And, and that's how I decided on the title of my last book, which is a non-fiction book, of course. Um, fiction is slightly different. So what are your thoughts, Al? Well, I think it's really important to remember that the title, not only uh, in non-fiction it's very important that it spells out exactly what you're what you're doing, um, but it's also a selling tool. And I think it's really important to remember that it's a selling tool because mm. um as you say, you want people to be able to go in and ask for it without embarrassment, but you also want people to pick it up based on the title. Um, it's it's part of the cover. Yes. It's part of the whole thing. Um, and so you've got to think about the market that you, particularly with fiction, you've got to think about the market that you're trying to to capture um, as far as because you're not spelling out exactly what it is on the cover necessarily with fiction, but you want a title that's going to appeal to your ideal reader. So I often find that um, with fiction that the title of the book comes out of the writing process. So Mm. you might get to the end of the book before you actually know what your book needs to be called. Like it's, it's, and it may be a phrase that you've used mm. somewhere in the book. It may be. Um, so when I was uh, naming my books, the Mapmaker Chronicles was a fairly straightforward series title because obviously it's a book, uh, it's a series about a mapmaker and it's kind of fantasy historic. So Chronicles is that fantasy historic word. You know, people know exactly if you put Chronicles on something, then mm. fantasy readers have a fairly strong idea that it's for them. Like it's that kind of it's that kind of word. So I actually yeah. had the title of the Mapmaker Chronicles Race to the End of the World uh, really early. Like that first book, it came very, very early. The other two books in that in that first trilogy and even the fourth book, um, that were the actual titles for each book in the series were a lot harder. So they're actually, so they're all different to what I had originally called them. Um, Each of those titles changed once I had a conversation with my publisher. So I would put a working title on them and then, you know, we would then discuss them. And Prisoner of the Black Hawk, which is the second book, was most assuredly my publisher's um, idea. And I think it was a great idea because I think I had something like 
you know, endless oceans or, you know, something to do with endless oceans. And she was just like, yeah, but it makes it sound like it's an endless book and you don't want it to sound like an endless book for kids. Um, So, you know, so Prisoner of the Black Hawk was, you know, because that's what happens to Quinn. He ends up, up, you know, kidnapped aboard a ship called the Black Hawk. Mm. And it was a very cool title and kids loved it. Um, And then Breath of the Dragon was, again, you know, totally different to what I had imagined. But I knew that there needed to be, I, I wanted the dragon aspect in there because the this whole, you know, idea of the dragon at the end of the world is there right from book one. And so I felt like we needed to we needed to look at that in book three, even though there isn't a dragon. But, you know, so it actually it came from a phrase that I ended up using um, in the in the novel. So you'll often find as you're writing the story that something will come out of the words that you're using as you're writing to use as your title, but you have to think about your market um, mm. and what your market will pick up off the shelves because that's what you want. It's a it's a it's a selling marketing tool that title as much as anything um, because you want it to appeal to your ideal reader so that they will buy your book. That's what you're trying to do. Yeah, definitely. Great advice. We hope that that's been useful for you, Brooke. Um, And if anyone else has other questions that they'd like us to answer, make sure you ask them in the podcast community. So just go to Facebook and search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community. And that's where our listeners hang out. And it's a great place to interact with each other. We have another question from Hykea Jade. And her question is... Um, she's had her debut novel contracted with the publisher. Whee! Yes, fantastic. Now, Jade has said, what can authors do to support traditional publishers' marketing efforts? How can you build a mail list without any books published? Mm. Mm. Over to you, Al. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. Okay, first of all, what I need to say is that you need to stop thinking about authors supporting traditional publishers' marketing efforts and start thinking about this as part of your job because it is um, your 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 um, publisher is definitely going to have a marketing and publicity plan for you of some kind, but that is probably most of the effort of that will be in the first couple of weeks after your book comes out. So around the time that your book is launched because they're trying to launch it with a, with a splash. What you need to do is carry that conversation forward for, you know, hopefully years. So think about this as a very long-term thing. This is not something you're not going to sell all the books within the first two weeks. And then that's going to, you know, kickstart the everything you need to try and keep that word of, you know, you've got to stimulate word of mouth. You've got to keep it going. You've got to keep that conversation happening for a really long time. I am still talking. I mean, the first book in the Mapmaker Chronicle series came out in October, 2014, and yet it is still being talked about. I talk about it. People talk about it with me online. So you've got to think about how you're going to keep that going because this is where this is where your job as an author comes in as far as the marketing is concerned. It's um it's not enough to rely on any publisher to do it. So this is not about you supporting the, the publisher. This is about you supporting yourself. You need to go forward with a strategy. And I think what you need to do is think about all the things that we talk about over and over and over on this podcast, making connections, mm. um, you know, building your networks online, um, talking to people on social media, but also getting out there. And, you know, the, the first place to start as an author 
when your book comes out is your local market. So talk to your local library, talk to your local booksellers. What can you do within your community? Contact your local papers. Local papers are interested in you because there's a good angle. You're a local and you've got a book coming out. Um, It's much more difficult to get publicity on a national scale for a book because you need a really strong angle. You've got to think about why would somebody want to put me in the paper? What is my story? What is interesting enough about my story as an author as well as my book um, that will actually make someone give me some column inches or some internet inches or whatever it is that you want to call it. So start to think about how you're going to do that. Make connections as in like put a list together of local titles, start, you know, at local publish, uh, local publications, plus, you know, make connections at your library and your bookseller and stuff like that. Um, put, a, put together a media release and think seriously and logically about who might be interested in receiving it. Radio stations are great and getting some radio time in that first week that your book launches is invaluable because don't underestimate how many people listen to radio and they always say there's a whole thing in publishing that radio sells books. So if you mm. get an opportunity to talk about your book and be enthusiastic about your book, Um, on radio, then people remember hearing it, you know, in a way that they may not necessarily remember reading it online. Get your Mm. Facebook communities going, get your Twitter communities going. You know, it's, it's, it's just essential that you realize that this is part of your job of being an author. This is not something that is, you know, an addition or a a separate thing. This is actually part of the deal. So um, I think it's, it's about um, thinking about what you can do and, you know, be creative. Think, just try and think outside the square a little bit about where you can put the message for your, for your books. I write a lot of stuff for parenting websites. I write book Mm. lists. I write, I write getting kids to read, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, because it puts my books in front of parents and parents buy books. So, you know, think about what your story is, what your novel is about and where you can, kind of like even outside the square where you can put yourself um, so that people who might who, who might buy your book will, will see you because they don't necessarily go to book review websites. Mm-hmm. Like this is the important thing to remember. Um, lots of people who buy books never visit a book review website ever, you know. So where are people going to be talking about your books so that those people can see you? So that's what you kind of got to think about as far as, as far as your strategy goes, but, but have a strategy of your own. That's yes. my, my number one piece of advice. Have a strategy of your own. Obviously talk to your public. I like, don't do it totally separate, but let them know what you're doing. I mean, I send my uh, publicist lists of things that I'm doing and I send her mm. all the links of when my stories come up, because then what happens is that the Hachette then shares all my links as well. So, yes. you know, you want to work together. I'm not saying this is like a totally separate thing, but you've got to, You've got to take the reins yourself as well. Definitely. And I think you hit the nail on the head, Al, when you said think about what's interesting about you, as in about you, the author, Uh, because even though you might have a very interesting book and the premise of your book is absolutely fascinating to you, it Mm. may or may not be fascinating to everyone else in the first instance, but they might get interested in you. So think about what is interesting about you that is newsworthy if you're trying to get coverage in the paper. So a great example of that is – 
Kylie Ladd recently released a book called, I think it was the the Way Back, and mm. it was, um, uh, you know, she the the it, it was a Gone Girl style kind of book. But um, the thing that that was interesting about Kylie Ladd, you know, a lot of journalists didn't necessarily want to write, oh, here's Kylie Ladd, she's an author, she wrote this book and it's about this. Instead, they wrote about this thing that was interesting about Kylie Ladd in that she was eight years old when her classmate, Eloise Wurlidge, was taken from her Melbourne home in the middle of the night. And 40 years later, the memory still haunts Kylie. And that kind of um, fed into then the um, some of the themes in the book. So mm. the, the journalist was interested in Kylie and Kylie's experiences and used that as the hook to then lead into uh, a broader story about the fact that she's an author and that she's written this book. So think about not just his, but I've got a new book, promote my book. Think of something. He, these are interesting things about me that the media might be interested in, um, and and that could lead in then to a discussion on my book. Well, another really great example of that um, is uh, the author Ruth Devine, and she writes a series for children um, called Jack McCool um, under the name R. E. Devine. But she, it, it, so Jack McCool has ADHD, and she has three sons who have all been diagnosed with ADHD, and so she wanted mm-hmm. to write this book that. Um, that, you know, for, for kids, you know, who, who, who have ADHD, cause she knew how difficult it was to get those kids to read. So she's yeah. written this rollicking, you know, full on fast paced adventure story, um, uh, that these kids might enjoy, but it's also, you know, with the hero is one that they can look up to and be inspired by. And she has got a huge amount of publicity and press coverage, you know, TV, um, all sorts of stuff because of this, because it's something yep. that it gives her that slight point of difference about, you know, um, her as an author and, and her books. So think about your, yeah, as you say, your experience and how, how that might work for you. Now, there is a second part to that question, which we should address, which is how do you get people to sign up to your oh, yes. mailing list? So what do you? What are your thoughts on that, um, Val? You know, how do you build well, a mailing list when you've got no books published? Sure. I mean, lots of people build ma- mailing lists without having any books published yet. I think mm. in the first instance, you need to have the op- give people the opportunity to sign up. Mm. It, I find it confounding sometimes when people say, um, oh, yeah, but, you know, I haven't got a book, book out yet or no one signed up to my list and I go to their website and there's no opportunity to sign up to their list. Mm. You need a so, nice big obvious box right there yes, saying sign up for my newsletter. And make it super easy for people to sign up to your list. And don't stress out. You don't have to send them a newsletter every month or whatever if you're not ready yet, but at least um, start building a community of fans so that you can, so that you have that community ready when you have something interesting to share. And make sure Mm. that when you do share it, it is not just buy my book, buy my book. It's actually useful and interesting information. So Mm. in the very first instance, just give people the opportunity to sign up to to a mailing list, and if you don't have any books yet, maybe you've there's there's something else that you might um, incentivize them to to um, uh, you know that you might use to incentivize them. So, for example, um, a friend of mine, she now writes books on photography, but before she had them out, she um, incentivized people to sign up to her mailing list by offering a very short, you know, like 12-page kind of ebook on how to do lighting with photography kind of thing. Mm. Um, and she built her list that way. Mm. Um, 
Yeah. And so, yeah, I think that in the first instance, you need to give people the opportunity. Too often it's hidden. That uh, Someone else I know, um, she said, like, yeah, you know, not many people are signing up to her list. And I went to her website. It took me nine clicks before I got to the opportunity to sign up to her list. It's ridiculous to take nine clicks. And yeah. I said, change it straight away so it requires no clicks for people to sign up to your list. And she yeah. started seeing an increase immediately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what are, what are your thoughts on that, Al? Uh, I totally agree. I think you need to make it, you know, have it there, make it obvious. I think it's a good idea to give people an idea of what to expect, like in the sense of is it going to be monthly, is it just going to be when you've got something, like when you've got a book out or something because mm. people do like, I mean, inboxes are busy, so they're making a decision. I mean, if someone invites you into their inbox, they're making a decision, um, you know, that that they're going to take your emails. And and I think the other thing to be aware of with a mailing list, because I, I think mailing lists are really, really important to have, um, but I think the thing with them too is that the, it is an email situation. So, you know, it changes all the time. Like you might send out send out a newsletter and, you know, 10 people unsubscribe in the first second and you think, God, what just happened? Um, <laughs> but what <laughs> – and then you'll send out another one, you know, the following month almost exactly the same and no one unsubscribes. So it's, it's yeah. very – you know, sometimes it's just about the fact that someone goes, oh, my God, my inbox is ridiculous. Yeah. I'm cleaning it all out and they'll just unroll from every single thing they've ever, you know, subscribed to because we do sort of sign up for stuff and opt in and then think later, why did I do that? You know, what was I yeah. thinking? Um, so I, I would say don't take it personally, and this is really easy to say, but in actual fact, you know, your numbers will go up and down all the time. And you yeah. can, when you're sort of trying to build it and you're like every single email, you know, address counts, it can be mm. so disheartening when, you know, someone unsubscribes. You think, why? Why did you do that? But, um, mm. you know, it's not it's not a personal thing. It's half the time. It's I, I find that unsubscribes get much, much busier November, December, and January. And I think it's because mm, people's inboxes are so ridiculous. And then January is that time when everyone goes, right, I'm starting the new year afresh and yes. I'm going <laughs> So, you know, I, I, it's, it, you definitely need to get, get it going and stuff like that. But don't. it's like all sorts of like social media and everything. Don't get hung up on numbers. But you want people who are interested in what you're saying. You know, so if you've got four people who are interested, that's better than 10 people who aren't. So think about it like that. Awesome. All right. That brings us to the end of this week's mini-sode. Where do we find you online, Al? Uh, you will find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com, where you can sign up for my newsletter. Please do. Um, you will find me on Twitter at, at altait, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you will find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Val? Well, of course, before I move on to that, you will also find a lot of Alison's fantastic tips on exactly all of those things that you've asked, Hokea Jade, on building your mailing list, on on building your author platform, on, on, on taking the reins in terms of your own publicity and marketing in Alison's course, How to Build Your Author Platform. In fact, it's a step-by-step blueprint. Alison knows all about it and it's a fantastic way, fantastic foundation for any writer that you should build way before your book even comes out. If your book has already come out, then make sure you start building now using this course. You can find out more at writercenter.com.au 
slash platform. That's writercentre.com.au slash platform. And yes, please do connect with us online in the listener group on Facebook. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community. We'd love to see you in there. You can find me at Valerie Koo, K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and, of course, on Facebook. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.